he never had a more pessimistic ending to any film. This right. film doesn't even end with the guy dying and going to heaven. He's dying troubled with a destroyed head. He's never <laughs> had a more, no, it's, things never get so pessimistic. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> It's time for one fucking hour, and uh, my name is Evan Husney. Uh, it's time for episode 21, guys. Uh, to my left, it's Tom Fitzgerald. Tom. I, hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah. How you doing? <laughs> All right. Great. Uh, Loaded for bears, they say, for this episode. Oh, oh of course. Of course. Uh, and to my right, uh, our usual uh, guy to my right, uh, Mr. Marcus Herring. How's it going? Good, good. Let's get this party started, yo. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, this fucking hour uh, is on. It's our first crack at David Lynch. Here we go uh, with the 1997 film Lost Highway. You guys ready for the clock? Let's hit the clock. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Here we go. All right. Just to start things off, <clears throat> Lost Highway, all right, is David Lynch's, uh, as I said, 1997 film deeply unnerving thriller about an unhappily married couple made up of an avant-garde jazz fusion saxophonist uh, Fred Madison played by Bill Pullman and his wife Renee played by uh, Patricia Arquette they both are terrorized by an unseen stalker as the couple receives videotape recordings of both uh, outside and from within their home in the Hollywood Hills but then shortly after meeting a mystery man played to eerie perfect played to eerie fucking perfection by Robert Blake the film begins to fragment into further layers of Fred's consciousness and so on and so on and I'm sure we'll get into the dizzying doppelganger side of the story as well but uh, guys rewatching this movie uh, the other night man it is a it is absolutely one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen I think I think really it, it holds up as some pretty effective shit but I wanted to throw it to you Tom because you saw this on opening night did you not yeah, the first weekend of, you know, general release and uh, me and my girlfriend went and, uh, you know, movies like that back in the day, they were a real event and it was packed. It's a big theater. So we're watching this fucking movie on the big screen and it was just uh, not, an, not an empty seat. It was kind of claustrophobic. I had gotten weeded out before in the bathroom before we uh, <laughs> did it and uh, I was like almost regretting it. I'm kind of remembering this now as I speak, but I was like kind of weeded out and it was the movie was just like doing its fucking thing. And cause I didn't know what to expect really. And um, I don't think anybody did. And it just felt claustrophobic and sort of suffocating uh, yet intense. I don't think um, you can match that experience in like a sparsely attended theater screening or at home certainly but it was just like all these human beings completely silent and we're not laughing you know there's no kind of like breather like oh shoot you know or like that's fun it's just like oh death it's like you know watching another person's dream nightmare on the big screen we all just have to like be enslaved to just like absorb it it was a pretty cool night and uh you know i won't soon forget it and tension right i mean like like especially the first third yeah right of course. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, yeah. the, the first third of this movie, guys, um, I don't know, Marcus, how, uh, I, I think for a lot of people, at least for me, it's like that first third of Lost Highway truly feels like maybe some of hit, like Lynch's most realized best fucking shit, right? Yeah. I mean, aside from just the tension and, you know, the intrigue, you know, it looks incredible. You know, the... The, what the house that they live in is amazing. The way that the the furnitures are very sparse and these geometric shapes. The television sitting on top of these like red and yellow like blocks. You know, everything Children's is blocks. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything is really um, composed very well. It's got, you know, it, it's like you know everyone has noted that it's in you know it's got some noir stuff going on, but it's like it's shot with this beautiful like. 90s film grain when like the film looks really pristine but it's got this nice grain to it and you know it's just i think it's a really pretty film to look at and especially in that first act you know and uh yeah but aside from that there's uh, a lot there's a a lot of mystery going on the first time you're watching it at least that you're just really uh, drawn in by totally 
And um, Tom, you were you were we were talking about this before we hit record, just about sort of the the backstory on, yeah. you know, what the influences were making this film, right? Or what what inspired? Well, I think a lot of folks wouldn't be expecting this um, uh, connection, but uh, David has said David Lynch has said that um, he one day actually had his buzzer ring, and someone on the other end said, "Dick Laurent is dead," and of course David was like, "The fuck." And so he looked out the window, and I think the way his house is or was, it's hard to see. It's like, you know, you're going out, and you have to, like, you can't quickly look down, you know, mm -hmm. by the, just the angle of the place. And so he didn't see anybody there. But he realized that um, it did say, in fact, David, Dick Laurent is dead. So he did think it was him, but then he realized his neighbor's name is David, and his name was David Lander, and David Lander was Squiggy of Lenny and Squiggy on the Laverne and Shirley show, and that's the the origin of Lost Highway, is uh, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and so because um, that's why he said David or whoever said that, you know, prefaced it with David, and it made Lynch kind of. Um, Perk up like it was extra weird. Yeah, that makes sense. Address uh, it all goes back to Laverne and Shirley. Ultimately. Everything does. Everything does. It's the it's the tabula rasa. So um, uh, we're talking about the beginning, mm -hmm. and I I do have some thoughts, some notes. When I saw it in the theater again, uh, that you know it starts of course with the first third, and so this is that was that was that was um, that glazed us with dread. You know, because yeah. like, 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 I think if the film had started in the tone from the other two acts, like it, we could have gotten through it easier, but it was just like, is this the, I'm trying to remember. It's like, is this the whole film? And uh, the whole film, if it were the whole film, it would be a film that was um, someone, a, just, a reviewer called it like a pressure cooker. You know, it's ever heating up and it's between this couple, you know, and um, there's obviously something very, very wrong with their relationship um for for both of them but it's unspoken to us and between them and so there's bad communication non-communication very few words um and david's also doing this thing um where uh the, if you think about it the way he films the house in the first uh, third it's you can't really get a gauge of the dimensions of the house right, right. like is this is this place eight miles wide you know or like is there a top floor like where are we always it's a lot just of overhead and stuff yeah yeah and it's la la labyrinthine you know to use that word and then the other thing the big element which um actually my girlfriend noticed that was like like the uns the, the, the unsteady uh, uh, uh um drone uh, you know, David had really pumped up the subwoofers and the lower frequencies. And, uh, you know, we were saying it's akin to Sledgehammer, that's which I'm sure influenced David. You know? Oh, my God. Well, that's the thing that, I, that really hit me watching this movie the other night was how yeah. much it shares with previous one fucking hour episode Sledgehammer. It really does. It's, because we yeah. also said about Sledgehammer. What is this house? <laughs> like, yeah, remember, yeah. we were like, like, is this, is there another floor? Are there three floors? Are we in the back? Are we in the front? Is this the kitchen? What's next to the kitchen? So, oh my God, sledgehammer! But also, but yeah. also the, just like the attention to the sound wait. design and and and, and yeah, all that of stuff, of course. But Marcus, what you saying? That, yeah, the loads that, that heavy, so that heavy whir. You know that it's it's mm -hmm. in a bunch of his work, and I think it's it sounds like electric hum. You know, and I think like a lot of times it seems like electricity. And David Lynch's work has sort of a sinister, ominous presence, almost like like it's a spirit from another world or something. And it turns yeah. up in Twin Peaks and mm -hmm. and in Mulholland Drive. And like the electricity, and like there's a lot of references not only to that that hum, but also like every the blue flashes in the film mm -hmm. feel like electricity sparking in the air and stuff. There is some sort of like I don't know, like some maybe some dream came to him about electricity being evil or something at one point. But there's always like a that's how I always hear that stuff is like there's this like sinister electric whir and yeah. hum at the and it's, bottom. It's pretty pronounced in Eraserhead, his first film. And I think he did, he did dial it down a bit, but it's uh, very upfront in Eraserhead. And it's incredible. And it was a real revelation. Right. Um, oh, God. Frederick Elms, was that his sound guy? It's genius. You know? Oh, my God. Well, I was just yeah, going to say, a, too, no. is like with I think why the first third of Lost Highway is such a like Lynch masterclass in terms of just him firing on all cylinders in that first, whatever, 20 minutes or 25 minutes is <clears throat> like, he has such an incredible ability. Well, first off the concept of a couple being sent videotapes of themselves is right. incredibly compelling and terrifying, but also he just, he underpins so many moments in that first third 
uh, he can make anything scary, and he really hones in with that sound design where it's like just the black yeah. fingernails. When you see that, you jump. When you go in and out of different shadows, like anytime you see a corner yeah. that's not lit in this moment, it's terrifying. Or someone rounds right. a corner, it's horrible. You know, it's absolutely <laughs> well, horrible. The th- exterior of the house is fucking horrible. Sorry. <laughs> no, I know. It's there's all these little choices. He's playing, he's playing saxophone. Homeless is playing saxophone, and there's no sound. You know, like there's there's a lot of great attention to sound. Oh, but you know, but what you were just saying, and I'm glad you brought it up uh, again with the sacred first third here, is um, as things are escalating and getting worse after after they leave the party, you know, um, and they're back home, like uh, it becomes really pure cinema. There's no more dialogue. No one's really talking, and uh, no one's really doing much. They're just he's wandering around a little bit in this endless labyrinth of of a house. And he keeps walking into and out of darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pure. It's just like a bit of a wall and then a human walking in and out of just darkness. It's it's so pure. Infected. I really think it's his best work and so fully realized. And, um, uh, well, we do have um, – do we have, Evan, uh, the moment where he's freaked out by his, the – changing appearance of his wife in bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's hold that because that's this is kind of a bit relatively big moment, quote unquote, in the first uh, act. Uh, by the way, Lynch says this is just about his favorite scene in the film. I I, I can't imagine seeing this scene uh, opening night. <laughs> that's all I got to say. He's it, but, man. Um, unforgettable. Just to set it up, it's just, you know, this is a moment uh, where, you know, Bill Pullman is describing a dream he had to his wife and then it kind of right and then and then w- yeah. once he wakes up from it there's a big reveal here so uh, but yeah just absolutely terrifying shit you're putting in as much context as you can right true but it wasn't Oh, and um, that sound hit too. That yeah, really. Um, well, that you know that that's a there's a natural lead in to something we were all pretty stoked to talk about, and that face you see uh, is possessed by um, uh, ex little rascal uh, Robert Blake, actually, <laughs> who's still with us. And um, I don't. Uh, I, I love that um, Lynch saw something in lynch i think he would say i i watched him on the tonight show i thought he had a really interesting way about him or something you know in robert blake, um, yeah yeah because yeah, robert blake is not like in demand or anything so i think he was in money train the other film you know like a year before right but uh yeah anyway so but but robert's incredible and this should be stated if people don't know that uh david let um robert blake choose his look so that's oh. Robert Blake's look. Yeah. He said, like, going to shave the eyebrows, going to part my hair and dye it black, you know, <laughs> and, and have the, and had everything, the um, kabuki, um, you know, uh, white face makeup. So maybe we could look right. at a little bit. This is also in that, the, you know, that uh, at that, when Robert Blake showed him the makeup job they did, David Lynch said to him, like, oh, now you don't have to act at all. Oh, you know, he's amazing. like, yeah, it's perfect. Oh, <laughs> you I, know, he just, guys, <laughs> I noticed another thing. Because he acts up a storm, he doesn't blank. Oh, mm. show me a shot where he blinks. What? <laughs> like I'm sure David edited it that way, and I'm sure that, like, I'm sure they're very conscious. Like Robert's, like, I'm gonna do a long take. I'm gonna try not to blank. You know what I mean? And then like they were like, let's make sure that he does not blank. And he's the mystery man. Let's just let's get his name right. <laughs> um, and he is a mystery, David. You know, akin to David explaining the technology behind the baby and eraser head, David is never revealed any cards of any kind about mm. his take on the mystery man he has said nothing ever mm. Mm. and uh you know you know him he, he he reveals a little bit once in a while this and that not this so maybe let's look at like uh maybe the big scene that people might oh, yeah. know in yeah. the film yeah. um you know i was thinking too this film's really underrated it didn't make a lot of huge splash then and i think it's not known or forgotten or it's really and under discussed i think as well yeah that's what i mean i was trying to think about this i think that the the first david lynch movie i ever saw was this movie 
just kind of weird. No. Okay, now wow. it's even weirder. Okay, my my age, this will show my age a little bit, right? You know. Sure, sure. So so I was in film class. I was in a film class. My first real film class, probably in two thousand two or two thousand one, two thousand two, and um, I didn't really know much about anything. Total total amateur hour here. And my our teacher brought in the DVD of Lo- uh, Lost Highway and showed mm. this scene really? so this scene might actually be <laughs> the first your first lynch anything my first lynch anything what'd you think i mean it floored me i i've never i i i it left such an impression on me and it's so fucking oh, wow. perfect and unfortunately because of the youtube overlords of copyright protection yeah it's I a long scene I, I separated this moment into two key parts so we'll watch okay. both parts one and this then is, the other sequentially we'll just play one the second after yeah this is robert blake uh, as bill pullman first sees him in the party uh yeah. so uh here we go and notice how the sound of the music just 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 drops out right as right as he walks up to bill pullman it's, it's fucking brilliant yeah the, the, all the music in the uh, room the army music just sucks out we've met before haven't we I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? <laughs> so that little piece there first, uh, pretty iconic. <laughs> yeah. He's such a great actor. I mean, before we get into like, there's, there's, you know, there's other dimensions to his character that, or just him as a person that make this even more uh, you know, ominous and sinister that we can get into, but just for a second, that's what hone in on Blake for a second. He is such a great actor. I did get to see him speak once weirdly. It was very odd, but it was sort of reminded me you were talking, when you were talking about film school, it reminded me of this. Cause he held like a little impromptu acting class <laughs> at this event. And, um, it was pretty interesting just to get his backstory that he was like, a, you know, a member of our gang and, you know, uh, that he grew up with like the, the MGM directors had him like uh, gave him very specific directions. Like when he was a kid, they're like, all right, say your line, then point, then count to three, drop your hand, then turn, you know, and that's how they would direct the kids to like to act. So he came from that school acting his entire life. He had a lot of interesting tidbits, but the one thing that he said that stayed with me was he said, um, uh, someone told him like, uh, be an actor like when he was said, when he said, he said, when he, someone asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said, I want to be an actor. He said, all right, kid, fine. Be an actor, but never let him catch you. And I guess what that means is like, never let him catch you acting, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm watching him, I'm always trying to catch him, but he just, you know, mm. I don't know. I, anyway, I think he's a, he's a very fine actor. <laughs> oh man. Killer. He's yeah, great. great. Seek out uh, in cold blood. That's a really great performance. The adaptation of the Capote uh, novel. Uh, Electric light blue. Yeah. I just rewatched that. He's great. Yeah. Um, so, but, but you had two clips, right? Did we? I did. Yeah, I wanted to play the second you one. Wanted yeah. To so, okay. yeah, I do. Of course. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, and and again, just to further this iconic scene, when uh, obviously I had to shorten it here, but but Bill Pullman uh, is handed, you know, the phone from Robert Blake calls his own house, and of nice course, nice '90s phone, by the way. Yeah, nice, nice fat '90s phone, Flip, and then of course, huge of course, chunky, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty small then. Yeah, yeah. pretty sick uh, <laughs> '90s phone. Sorry. Yeah. And then he's t- realized he, he's he, he's at his house and he's talking to uh, <laughs> the mystery it's man. It's so good at his house and it's incredible. It's an incredible. It's moment. one of the big Lynch scenes. It's like it like it just pops. It's such a brilliant, simple, mm-hmm. freaky, scary, uncanny moment, you know. And they oh. all kill it. And yeah. Robert's a monster. He's so good. Here, let's watch it. Ask me. How'd you get inside my house? You invited me. It is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. No blinking. <laughs> Who are you? Hmm. <laughs> Give me back my oh phone. My God. Yeah. It's so many people feel like they've cracked the code of some parts of this movie, but this one, this is sort of a, the mystery man is an enduring 
mystery, like how he yeah. can be in two places, like you know yeah. how, why he's doubled up, you know why he's split up into two, and yeah, yeah, and, and like why he, he does not wearing makeup later, you know. There's a lot of her face, elements to his side that like, yeah, on his her face, face. Was on her, yeah. Well, if I may, I actually think that like Bob and Twin Peaks and the rest of his Black Lodge gang. I think the mystery man for David Lynch represents uh, the entity that possesses the he uh, personifies evil, you know, and in this film, the fucking mystery man, he even has his own black lodge in this. So I don't know. Well, this is this helped me like uh, I started I, I really mulled over this film hard today. And I think what helped me is to not bother with the term plot, you know, and instead uh, use the term landscape. Uh, it helps me, you know, um, and so what I mean by that is like uh, uh, his his role in the landscape of this film, because he's obviously very important and he's sort of extra symbolic, you know, like Eddie, the mobster, he is symbolic, but he is grounded in being a character. All of them are, but not Mystery Man. Hey, his name is Mystery Man, right? You know, so like um, so I think in a way, maybe what you should and, and, and by the way, the behavior of the ending where um, uh, mystery, both kind of mystery man and the Bill Pullman guy, they both shoot Eddie the mobster at the end, you know, right. and, and and like, you know, your mind starts wondering, like, what is the significance? Um, because that's a very pivotal moment. Like he kills, you know, the bad guy, uh, a.k.a. Dick Laurent, by the way. And that's why Dick Laurent is dead, by the right. way, because <laughs> right. the film starts the way it ends and ends the way it starts. So anyway, I just think in terms of landscapes and I, I, I I never want to completely, I think what David is saying sometimes when he specifically doesn't want to talk about like the mystery man, for, for example, is it's like, you don't want to grab it because you'll break it. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's so delicate. It's just like, ugh, you know, and it like ruins it. And actually he had a really good quote. Just the last thing I'll say is uh, to speak to how David sees things like the mystery man is uh, it makes to try to over explain the mystery man. Like he's this, 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 and this is how he connects with everybody, blah, blah, blah. It's like, David just says, it makes a really big thing, very small. Mm -hmm. I thought that was well put. Totally, you know, because right. it makes it yeah. limited. Oh, it's limited. Like the end Maybe. of two thousand, like understanding the end of two thousand one or something. Oh, like cheap yeah. Enough to know what that is, of course. Yeah. It's. Well, I always wonder, like, just before we move on from that, uh, I'll let you have it after this, Evan. But just you know, like, it, it's interesting that he puts that stuff into this film because sometimes there are loose ends that don't quite make sense in like Twin Peaks or like Mulholland Drive. But you can like kind of explain that away with like if you know the production story behind those films and like certain plot lines get cut out or whatever the mm -hmm. studio is breathing down your neck on twin peaks or you can kind of explain away like oh those are just lo literally our loose ends but with this film it's like it's intentionally put this thing in there that this enigma that mystery man that that doesn't quite add up you know so well anyway <clears throat> well to me i think it i don't know maybe i'm crazy i i sort of have some feelings on some significance with that um I, I do feel that, I mean, Lynch films in general, you know, they are so multi-dimensional, you know, in many ways. And I think a lot of his movies or this period of his movies, they operate on, you know, different layers of the consciousness. That's really his big thing, right? Yeah. Is that, you know, you have with this film and with Mulholland Drive, you have that portal mechanic or that sort of transportive object maybe even or, or or something that kind of takes you from one end of the story into the other and then there's the, then there's that doppelganger motif like Mahal and Drive has the same thing right you have the portal Absolutely. uh and, and brunettes and blondes you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the same thing yeah yeah but it also the has the Jungian kind of yeah doubling oh, right. archetypes yeah exactly but it also has the trashy soap opera bad acting you know, contrasted with the nightmare shit, you know, and it's and it's all about entering. And that's I think the soap opera stuff works so well when you're entering in that dream state, you know, because a lot of his well, his yeah. storytelling style is that dream state. And one thing I just wanted to circle back just to real quick and I'll throw it to you is um, with the mystery man. I look at that scene we just watched and into the end now to go full circle. The yeah. first thing that he says to uh bill pullman is he says that you know we've met before you know that's yeah. the first thing yeah. that he says right and so this whole sequence to me is just a obviously we're talking about layers of consciousness here but it is just about the memory the consciousness deep memory of killing dick laurent together that's being compartmentalized in this dream right. state you know because that's he also says that to belthazar getty right know, who, who pullman switches to you know yeah, right. Right. And he's also got the video camera that's recording, you know, terrorizing him with the, like, 
with the truth of what he's actually done in his life or whatever. So it's like, it's interesting that he's also, he plays this role in his dream, you know, uh, but then in his real world, he's also sort of the keeper and the documenter of the truth. Hey, can we play that scene? Uh, Evan, just just if we're really doing down this thread for a second, you mind playing a very brief moment when he's speaking to the police and he's saying, he's explaining why he hates uh, uh, video cameras. I thought this was a a big scene and um, Lynch brings this up, not this scene, but this um, this articulation of Pullman's here. Sure. Do you want a video camera? No. Fred hates them. I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened. So that's a very weird thing to say to the police. Well, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I I, I just think that's the key to the movie, you know, is that right. And I think Lynch, Um, it it hinted at that in an interview I saw. It reminds me of like, not to keep, we're going to, Mulholland Drive is going to come up a lot, but like, you know, it's it's as like linchpin of the film, like the same way that the cowboy, (laughs) you know, the cowboy speech in Mulholland Drive kind of helps uh, explain what's going on in that film. He says like, you know, the way that you look at, the way your man's attitude goes a long way into how his life is going to turn out, you know, and that's a similar you know, that explain helps explain what's going on in that film. Just, uh, just like this line, kind of uh, yeah, is the gateway to understanding what this film is. Can I? Because I, I really like this zone we're in right now. Yes, yeah, same here. Mind, do, do you guys mind if I, if we talk about the OJ of it all just for a second? Because I really think it. Over- yeah, yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> well, component, him. you know. <laughs> so yeah, so one thing that you know, listeners out there might not be. As, as hip to with this movie is uh, when Lynch put out his book, Catching the Big Fish, uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he kind of had a little mini chapter about Lost Highway where he revealed that the movie uh, itself was inspired by the, the O.J. Simpson trial. So uh, first, just so we get all caught up with that, let's just play the clip from the audio book. And then I want to circle back to it because I think it's one of the more interesting aspects to kind of, I don't know if you want to understand the movie or just have a, a more, uh, you know, deeper, understanding. a greater understanding a of, greater his, understanding his, of his, uh, where his, where his head was. Yeah. So I just pulled this. So here we go. David Lynch on OJ. At the time that Barry Gifford and I were writing the script for Lost Highway, I was sort of obsessed with the OJ Simpson trial. Barry and I never talked about it this way, but I think the film is somehow related to that. What struck me about O.J. Simpson was that he was able to smile and laugh. He was able to go golfing later with seemingly very few problems about the whole thing. I wondered how, if a person did these deeds, he could go on living. And we found this great psychology term, psychogenic fugue, describing an event where the mind tricks itself to escape some horror. So in a way, Lost Highway is about that, and also the fact that nothing can stay hidden forever. Love that. Um, So now in the film, after he's being terrorized, of course, by Robert Blake and being sent the videotapes, it reveals that, holy shit, there's, you know, his wife is there chopped up dead, right? And um, then we segue gruesome, into the, gruesome, brutal, brutal, brutal. Then really we segue was. into the uh, portal and we go through his double. And now we're following Balthazar Getty, right? In this sort of weird other state. Yeah. And, Just to maybe articulate the pivot, you know, like, yeah, uh, uh, there is it. There's um, uh, when the sun goes down, Bill Pullman's in that cell. And when the sun comes up, Balthazar Getty's in that cell. And I love that they had to make a decision like, well, uh, you're free to go. (laughs) It's a metaphysical quandary that, uh, you know, like the police have to make. So anyway, yeah, he's free. He's free. It's great. And Bill Pullman disappeared. When he gets sequenced to – oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to not lose sight of the OJ thing. So so the thing about the OJ thing that's really interesting is the idea of that fugue state, right? The idea that somebody would uh, compartmentalize – uh, a a horrifying or traumatic thing, you know, and, and even like someone like Ted Bundy, 
right? When when he would talk about his crimes or refer to the terrible things he did, he would refer to it as he did that, not I oh, really? did that. You know, so it's he would distancing. Right. Yeah. Right. Tactic. Exactly. And and huh. and you know, and, and and in other ways, you know, people that knew him, he was a very likable, sort of fairly normal guy. So it could totally disassociated, yeah. you know, from the crimes that he did. And yeah. so um, when you, that to me was what's really interesting about this is that the um, Balthazar Getty end of this movie, <clears throat> while not all of it works for me, and maybe we'll get into that later. But when it gets yeah. into that sec, when it gets into that segment, it's really becomes brilliantly the sort of comatose, uh, de- decompartmentalizing. Uh, sort of dream of consciousness of 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 uh, you know of Bill of Bill Pullman's character, right. and what I think is really interesting. But then, as we see, and we should show this clip too, if you don't mind segueing uh, about the, the the cracks in that. The cracks are formed. Well, let's just take a step back. So sure. uh, I think there's meaning. Sorry, it's just um, yeah. not only yeah. is he Balthazar Getty, but um, it's idyllic. And, uh, uh, you know, he's you first see him with that uh, that sweet Brazilian slow, you know, smooth jazz. And uh, he's just looking at like a, it's idyllic, you know, and there's a picket fence. And Lynch says that's from when he was like three years old. He remembers like I did that in that environment. So it's like his little dream perfect world. And and so and also Balthazar Getty is uh, younger and uh, he gets a lot of action as the police who are, you know, tailing him. Notice he's constantly <laughs> More making than a love. T- toilet seat. Yeah. <laughs> that but like 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 um uh he uh you know he's he's um you know it's it's i think there's two things uh evan and that makes it interesting you know it's all multitudes of interest but i think it's both disassociation like yeah. i am i am so i'm so guilt-ridden being me my identity that i need to go rah, different identity there's right. also wish fulfillment this is my point is mm-hmm. i don't want to be in the cell i want to be sipping lemonade in the backyard um and i also want to be younger and I also want to be um, hmm. desirable to women, and I want to successfully. I, w- I want women to love my lovemaking, to uh, you know want more, right. and like you know, because right. because we see, and this is a great. I think Zizek, uh, that you know, corny philosopher said, <laughs> there's this pat. They're making love in the first third, the husband and wife, you know, and um, uh, he's trying and failing in some way. He's not turning her on essentially, and 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 there's a close-up of her patting him on the back. Right, like, yeah. like I don't know if you guys. I haven't caught yeah, that yeah, ever yeah. until today. I just like pat. Well, that's what the and nails, like, right? Yeah. yeah, and he's dying. He's like, oh, you know, it's humiliating, embarrassing. And <laughs> no, so what I'm saying is though, she's patronizing. Yeah, yeah. So then go to Balthazar Getty, and, and it's like, oh, like his first girlfriend, like making love in the car, so good. And then he's like making love so good with um. And yes, you will be using this for the. Um, <laughs> the uh, cold open, are you? But like, it's oh, like, yeah. oh, he's so good with um, Patricia Arquette's character, the blonde version, you know, whatever her name is. And so, you guys know where I'm going with this. So it's like, there's this wish fulfillment, but of course, as you can expect, and it's and he does it beautifully. Um, the cracks, as you say, start forming. And um, my my favorite is the first crack because it's so well done, and again, layers, layers, and it's fun. Uh, if you don't mind threading up that beautiful bean footage of the uh, free jazz at the ga- ga- garage. Yeah, so uh, everything's fine. He has a job. He probably imagined himself like I want to be like a twenty-five-year-old gearhead with a motorcycle and like girlfriends and like my buddies at the you know I'm I'm a, I'm a what do they call it like you know like I'm a greasehead guy you know like uh, Mopar. I, yeah, and it's just like I want to be this cool guy at a garage who like dates lots of chicks and has. Cool motorcycle. So um, he's just working. Everything's fine as Balthazar Getty. But then something is playing on the radio one day at the garage. And he's suffering from headaches that are occurring. Uh, well, post that's what I'm saying. It's all in tandem. Yeah. 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 Side note, I think it's the last appearance of the late great Jack Nance, who was uh, a racer head, yeah. you know, Henry. And he was, I think, murdered soon after on these mm-hmm. ugly streets of Los Angeles. So anyway, um, He's at the garage, he hears something, and it kind of hits him in the head a little wrong. Now remember, Bill Pullman was a free jazz, honking, hardcore saxophone player. So let's see what happens <laughs> at the garage here. Yeah, we can show that too at some point. <clears throat> we should. We'll play that. Jack Dance. 
So that's the thing. It's like it's an illustration of like his dream. I'm trying to make a metaphor and I'm failing, but like his dream is just this, um, you know, it's this perfect fantasy fantasy. Well, I'm, yeah, it's like, it was going to be metaphorical, but like just like it's this perfect object. Uh, it's a perfect bowl of jello. But then like there's this little, you know, mm. like uh, these like bugs start going in it, you know, think in terms elements of like, from his real life are like creeping right. back in. Like, right. He's, like, he's like, like trying to push away his real life, yes. but then it gets kind of exactly. seeping back in. He yeah. seals it off. But like there's some but like we're saying cracks appear and the cracks only get worse and the headaches only get worse and his head gets worse as we go from, you know, in the second to the third act. So I think that's uh, I don't even think there's a lot of controversy or anything. I think that is the intention and the narrative of this film. Uh, where this train of thought we're going on, it gets more complicated in interpretation. But, you know, I think we're so far on the right track here. Can I just throw down on that on that real quick is in terms of the cracking? Yeah, uh, it hit me all last night. And I know you guys are going to fucking this is uh oh, this is for you guys. <laughs> here we okay? go. Lay it on me. <laughs> here we go. Here's a bomb for ready. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> it hit me. It hit me that like it really does feel I said comatose, but it really does feel like uh the ins the deep con the consciousness like I, i've said that a lot but being in a coma like this is a coma yeah, good. noir fantasy okay is is what it is and the cracking uh like when you're in a coma and things crack out right and you know what this fucking whole passage this whole chapter in this movie reminded me of no Kev you're not sledgehammer Kevin fucking Finnerty, man, is what this shit oh, reminded me asshole. of. asshole. <laughs> You're playing the Kevin Finnerty card. Actually, okay, can I blow your mind? Uh, that's incredible. That's a whole can of worms. Maybe we'll do a whole one fucking hour on just that. Like Kevin Finnerty. Yeah, really. No, but can I actually. There's only one? Because <laughs> I think there's. True. It feels like there's about four. I know. I think there's like four. No, no, sorry, not to step on this, but like um, you scared me for a second, Evan, because this is going to blow all y'all's mind. Is we did Welcome to Dollhouse last week, so oh. I was rewatching all of the Todd Solondz films. I, I rewatched, um, I rewatched uh, Dark Horse, and I don't know if you guys saw it or familiar with it. Uh, Dark yeah, Horse, I've seen it. I've seen it yep. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, guess what happens? He gets into a car accident, goes into a coma. And he lives in this fantasy world. He loses world. his wallet. <laughs> no. Or loses he, his briefcase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that Kevin Finnerty to do that? That's Kevin yeah, Finnerty. Yeah, yeah. God, that is such a thing. No, so anyway, I, I'll keep it quick and we'll move on. Obviously, this is another director and everything. But like, but like so many things we're talking about right now, uh, so much of this film echoes in uh, at least the last half, I swear to God, of Todd Solondz's Dark Horse, which is also Whoa. very satisfying. It is fucking frightening because... Um, his reality, he's got his fantasy and reality are mixing up. And I think that um, he does a very good job, Solomon's actually. And I could see him being influenced, maybe, or not, by um, uh, Lost Highway. But anyway, um, uh, on, go ahead. On the, on the subject of dreams, just like it's, it's a common thing that comes up in movies, you know, like, and in just in theories in general, like, there's a lot of like, lame theories people always think like you know what if you know star wars is all a dream i'm not that movie but that that's the kind of yeah, thing yeah. That, that people well, it's popular theory about stuff and i uh, you know um it used to really bug me but for for lynch movies even though that is a common theme it doesn't bother me as much because he doesn't ever say okay and now the guy's dreaming yeah you know and i think that's part of the effectiveness of it it's even though half the movie you know, might be a dream. He doesn't come out and say it. You never like see that. And that's part of like what makes it mysterious for people. Well, I think, you know, well, here's like, the other especially thing. like uh, an audience going to see it in 97, which is just like, you know, 25 years less savvy media wise than we are now be more confused by it. But, um, yeah, anyway, I, think, I always appreciated that about him. How about the bottom line? When most of Lynch films, let's just say this one, when this David Lynch film starts, are you sure that you're on firm, solid ground? That's a good point. Reality? Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, right off the bat, Mystery Man is like you know, like like that. Throws well, there's you like off. shapes and shadows and moving yeah, right. everywhere. Go on and on. Yeah. Because what I'm saying is, I guess relatively <laughs> speaking, Blue Velvet, I would say, starts with two feet on the ground of reality. 
Yeah, more or less. It does. Soap yeah. opera Soap opera kind of. Well, it's a movie. It's very much a big movie. Of yeah. course, you know what I'm saying. It's all relative. And and I think it feels like Mulholland Drive starts with two feet on reality. Uh, it's a little wobbly. But this one is very, like, I'm not sure I'm oriented yet. Because how about this? Like, uh, it, what's the world? There's not much of the world. There's there's that house. And then there's the party. But, like, the first Smoky act, bar. Yeah. Smoky bar win. Well, he's playing saxophone, you know. Oh yeah, but that's so. Let's throw that on. But that's so abstracted and jarring and cutting. You know, it, does, it doesn't feel like um, if the camera looked at it, it was like people watching it. It's like well, it's frenetic, strange. You know, uh, abstraction as well. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, it's yeah, like you're saying the point is real life is is a little weird too in his films, right? Yeah, yes, so, I think especially especially this one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Wild at Heart feels like two feet on the ground reality relatively speaking relatively and then yeah, it, yeah i got and then it, it but then it, then it worked yeah you get my point but yeah, this one yeah. i'm not sure this might be like one well, foot on the ground <laughs> just to just to put a stupid button on my kevin finnerty thing if people didn't know the hell <laughs> I what the it. hell so that bad. means <laughs> so bad please that, more that's, kevin finnerty yes uh. <laughs> well no that's just you know that's the the subplot in the sopranos when tony soprano's in the coma and he has his alter ego inside the coma <sighs> but that has the cracks too and dude sure. yeah. David Chase, man, we all know he loves Lynch. That's all I'm saying is I uh, wouldn't be no, surprised. Oh, he went to uh, Lost Highway School. Yeah. yeah. You know it. He went to those. So, wait, hey, let's get oriented. Do, uh, what's that clock well, saying? Feech, too. Feech. Feech is right, Let's this. really. Let's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Robbie Leo. Um, where are we? Because I want to start criticizing the movie, maybe. Um, so, here, you hinted at this, uh, Mr. Evan. Yeah. Um. I'm going to compare it to Mulholland Drive for a second because it is sort of the LA trilogy, uh, the first of the three. And, you know, I'll just speak for myself, and I'm sure I'm echoed by millions of people or lots that Mulholland Drive is just kind of perfect and a masterpiece. Yeah. And that movie just like, you know, just like floors me, you know, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, Mulholland Drive. Mm -hmm. So this one is, I don't quite feel the same way. And I think some of the issues I have, I'm, I'm, I'm still processing, but. Um, they include Marilyn Manson <laughs> and like uh, like Rammstein oh, and all on. that stuff. And so, well, no, 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 no. Let me let me finish my thought. And it's brief. <laughs> so there's a couple chunks of uh, cultural tropes, yeah, that are in the second and third act, um, mm, yeah, especially the middle, uh, that um, kind of cringe me out. They did when I saw it that the stag you know, films. Like, well, just I'll just put it this succinctly. It's like. 90s like uh i want to be bad and piss off and embarrass and sadden my rich parents it's very 90s i grew up in the oh, 90s yeah. you know as, as a 20 something oh, yeah. and like there was a lot of that like my dad's gonna fucking hate my tattoo man you know and it just <laughs> really is very mega cringe for me i don't care the music it dates it in a way that's not even beyond other films like all those all the 90s stuff and yeah, the, nine inch the, nails perfect drug and and i don't have i'm trying to divorce it from i don't personally like that aesthetic but that's not really even what i'm saying i was distracted in the sense of um i knew i could see what he was trying to go for and the pop iconography uh, I'm not even done of that kind of cringe nineties. I want to be bad kind of thing was like, uh, felt tiresome then by the mid nineties, but then also the very corny noir tropes of like the femme fatale. And like, he's a tough talking I know. mob boss. And it's like, but mm. I went, I got mm. at peace with mm. it relatively mm. speaking today. And then I'm gonna shut up is, um, if Bill Pullman, you know, has kind of watched too many movies in his life, um or mtv videos you know and like maybe richard pryor and marilyn Manson are gonna, gonna pop up in his <coughs> coma driven fever dream so that's okay and i got yeah. i relaxed a bit but it, but it, about, but it does i do it doesn't it, it it pulls me away too much whereas mulholland drive has none of that yeah it's eternal right. mulholland drive's uh, timeless yeah this does get bogged down a little bit there's uh, there's the kind of like cool guy greaser leather jacket shtick that pops up in lynch a lot like james on, on james who's always james who's always been cool on uh, twin peaks you know yeah the he's very twin this, peaks yeah there's a, there's a jazz scene in this too with the, the car chase they're doing that twin peaks like uh, angela bottle of minty synthesizer jazz thing is popping up <laughs> and also I, the, honestly i fast forward now through the tail tailgate scene can't. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he grabs the guy and was yelling at him, 
it was about the only, and he's still going like, you can't, you know, you can't follow a car that close. And he's going through the driver's ed stuff with him and threatening him. It's the only time I kind of laughed in the movie, you know, and I think that's another problem with it is Mulholland Drive has a couple parts that are like really funny, like the, um, the girl getting, or the woman getting shot in oh, the, in the, the butt office, back. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, just the, the cascading problems with that hit that happens is hilarious, you know. Yeah, yeah. And this movie's not funny, like, at all. And I, except, and I didn't laugh the first time I watched that part where Feech Lamont is beating that guy up. Uh, Robert Logia is beating that guy up. But the second, I ran it back and watched it again, and I was like, kind of chuckling a little bit. But I think that's another problem with this is it's like the humor. I love this movie, but it is missing that humor element the lightness that I, he does, I do appreciate. He can have. Yeah, absolutely. Helps yeah. you stare into the darkness to have that lightness. Yeah. You know? Well, <clears throat> to me, it's a, it's a very 1997 movie uh, through and throughout. It's, it's, it is. It's super that... And, and one <laughs> thing I was thinking about watching it too is it's like... Um, Which is good really, and bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking it's, it's, it's the first time, I, I'm guessing, around this time where, you know, David Lynch really enters in kind of the zeitgeist at that you know it's like the first movie where he's post zeitgeist <clears throat> and yeah. he's now now he's cool and people people well people dig me you know and so like you know <laughs> right. trent trent digs him manson trent digs maryland him. yeah yeah billy, it's like yeah, yeah, billy no, no but he's saying also like like it's like the the hipsterati kind of, yeah, of yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know right i just attributed that to trent Reznor getting involved and being like i'm gonna hook you up with all the cool people Maybe. you know because i didn't think like lynch is really plugged into like marilyn manson or billy corgan he loved romstein shit. Oh, he loved and I he, do too. Oh, there's. I have an anecdote. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know them. Um, but Rammstein. Uh, this movie is making after, me appreciate them a little bit more. After, I was laughing then too, actually. I know. Oh. After my um, this very brief little uh, like tid, it's a little anecdote. Let's play the Rammstein drop, okay? Thank you, Evan. Really quick. So uh, this is funny. I read this today in this great book, uh, Lynch on Lynch. I recommend it. He says uh, Rammstein in the '90s would just send him tapes. Isn't that weird? And then, and, I, and he probably gets a lot of tapes and VHS and stuff. So he just went, nah, whatever. But then one day he went like, all right, Rammstein. And I think he was developing the film, Lost Highway. He went, all right, okay. They sent, he said they sent 50 tapes. So he put one on and he went, hey, this is perfect. And then he started um, playing it, you know, and it was intended to be in the soundtrack. But then he said by the middle of the production, every uh, trailer and all of the crew was blasting Rammstein. <laughs> so the soundtrack of this film was just different Rammstein, like full blasting uh, trailers. I just thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> There's a clip that. of them shooting it on in like yeah. a bowling alley or something, and he's yeah. blasting. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, it's Nine Nails. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so here's the Rammstein. So uh, they make here's, an impression. They do. Here's the Rammstein drop. They always had that that great, you know. Turn down the mids, you know, metal guitar sound. It's it's perfect. All right, let's just. Uh, I love it. Let's just bask in it for a minute. This is good nineties camp. Let's watch the Rammstein in this too. I'm gonna turn it up. Crank it. I love Balthazar's face. He's got a great distressed face. He's got a very tiny goatee. Or a wait, uh, that that scene. Oh, it's so scary. That is the scariest moment. Awesome shit. Wait, <laughs> yeah. You saying Balthazar's face? You know, he he's he was giving me like '90s like Mike Patton vibes. I don't know if that's too. Yeah. Or no, no, no. Um, what's it? I just want to fly. You know, um, sugar, sugar Ray. Sugar Ray. Yeah. He's very the tiny. Very, Balthazar's got the tiniest goatee I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah that's it's the like, thing. Oh. It's about six hairs. Super super uh, manicured. Um, no, so let's move on though. Because well, like, uh, I just wanted to touch oh, on uh, Evan's point was that like that he's at the height. Uh, Lynch is kind of at the height of his pop popularity, right? Because he's like even this has the most. The biggest number of like stars in it of any movie of his that I can think of either. There's like Rollins and all kinds of people are in this movie. It's not a big star. Like, well, I mean, but it's got a lot of people that you recognize. Yeah, I guess, cameos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess Mink yeah. Stoll is doing a voice in it or something. Yeah, Mink Stoll that? is the um, like the judge or something, and you don't see <laughs> yeah. her, but you hear her when That's the sentencing it. happens or whatever. But yeah. just as we're running out of time, I'm thinking um, – uh, just to not get bogged down because it's it's actually kind of fun and campy to be in you know what's the second act let's just say 
But the third act is ushered in by, here's the thing. There's a part of this movie I just forgot completely because I'm all about, you know, Lucas saying first act. And then I kind of get into the camp and the like and dislike of the middle. But then it transitions into the third act, you know, roughly speaking with this great scene. And uh, we'll just play it over when I'm blabbing here. But like it's when um, he started seeing the femme fatale, Patricia Arquette, is a blonde woman who's the lover of the gangster guy and all that shit, and having very satisfying sex, you know. And uh, but then she's like, "I can't tonight. I think Eddie, my you know gangster boyfriend, knows." So he's alone in this uh, motel room, and he starts. It's such a great scene. I'd love it. It's it's um everything's the cracks are really starting to get bigger, guys. More of them and deeper. And he just looks around this motel room where he was supposed to meet her, and he just starts seeing fluttering moths, spiders, bugs all around the light fixture and everything. And he's very much alone. And he's, you know, there's this blank, huge blank wall in this motel room where he's just staring blankly and his life, everything's going downhill fast. So we, anyway, we enter the third act and, um, you know, just to not get bogged into the plot, but, uh, you know, there's actually the plot is kind of like a very rote, uh, pulp fiction, you know, the genre of, um, of noir. It's like, she's like uh leading yeah. him along like like he's realizing yeah. that yeah. he got her it's actually out of you know the film detour that incredibly it's cool very detour so and we the know detour. very detour well yeah. just you know okay so 1946 or so a really really be great film with no stars it's incredible yeah. and mm-hmm. the thing is the, the femme fatale in that film has led this jazz musician on uh and all her intention was just to use him to murder someone to you know, advance her. And the same thing happens here. So it's right out of detour, which is like, like a noir 101. Okay. And that had the road shots say. too. It has the road shots. Yeah, sure. I, I recommend it. You haven't seen detour guys. It's really like yeah. elemental um, noir. Yeah. So my point is that he goes, um, it's changes. And there's that incredible scene where, um, uh, you know, the bad guy has all the money and the drugs and everything like that falls into the uh, glass table. Maybe we can, uh, you know, you yep. cut away to that or something, but he falls away, um, falls to the table and it's this incredible and, you know, uh, impossible to happen. He falls into it so that he, he gets his head hits the edge of the glass table and it cuts him right through the middle of his forehead up to like the middle of his head. And it's such an incredible image. It's my favorite David Lynch image. But to the point you see uh, her responses, I something I can't remember. It's sort of like, wow, wow that's weird. <laughs> right. And then he kind of looks over and we all notice it's like, she's not cool who is she and she's actually pure evil femme fatale and she starts making him steal with her she starts saying we didn't kill that guy you killed you that did, guy yeah. which is i think right out of detour and so anyway i'm rambling here about sort of the plot but i'm just saying that it, it was dark and it gets darker and really this film kind of goes into a mobius strip as people say but um it's the beginning of the end of the fantasy and yeah. um you're, you're seeing bill pullman's just like dive bomb in to the reality of the situation (laughs) and it's and it includes the femme fatale pornography twiggy ramirez from Marilyn manson (laughs) and um and lots of rammstein and uh and i and then um multiple rammstein drops lots of rammstein but anyway so like so so um what i'm saying is that i found this very satisfying and the film regained itself to me somewhat from the camp of the middle and uh (laughs) if you guys have any thought (coughs) it's just a I was really watching very closely the last act and um, guess who comes back in the last act? The mystery man. And uh, there's an incredible, uh, very simple image uh, that, you know, uh, Lynch is so good at. It's just a barn on fire backwards. And then the last thing I'll say, and the rest shows your guys, is my favorite shot in this whole film is Balthazar coming home. He's very troubled. His parents are concerned and they're looking at him, talk to Eddie on the phone. And, uh, you know, one of Gary Busey's dad. And um, so Balthazar is having this horrible conversation where Eddie's basically, Eddie and the mystery man are threatening Balthazar Getty. And he hangs up the phone, he looks up, and his parents are fucking gone. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. Lynch cuts to the same shot where they were in frame. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> yeah. like the most simple filmmaking ever. I know. Yeah. Chilled to the Man. bone. That's, that's insane. Yeah. That's awesome. Just for a sec, I, just to stop on that, uh, that simple approach to filmmaking, because like those little effects that he does, and when he does something cool with editing, you know, uh, or just in-camera effects, it's so effective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so well. Yeah, they're just so much no. more effective than like a digital effect, which is like an overlay, right? But yeah. like 
There's the in the, the scene you were talking about as an example. There's in the scene you were talking about where he's in the hotel room, like it's going out of focus. You know, like his eyes are tripping out, and I didn't know what to call that. Like you know, many years ago, I was like, I thought it was like ecstasy vision or something. I was like going going in and out of focus. You know, and yeah, yeah. they do it in Mulholland Drive too, right? And yeah. but I I think I fi- I think I figured it out. Just I did a little research, and then but I think what he's doing is that. The DP is actually like unscrewing the lens, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. why it goes out of focus, and it, the image like moves a little bit, and they pop it back into place. And I don't know. I just think that's such a cool like. No. There's there's another part where like uh, in the in the scene where um post post murder and she's filling up the bag and there's the the giant porno. It's a shout out to back when they used to call them pornos, by the yeah. way. Not it was on porno. sixteen millimeter. But, um, yeah, when it, it's in the background playing and the, the screen's going like the, – the image on the movie is going like this, kind of wavy. And I huh. think what they're doing is shooting off a mirror or something at that moment. Or a like, screen maybe, yeah. Could be a screen, but it feels very flat too. But it mm. also feels like it was done out on set because the film grain is the same. It's not like doubled up like optical thing where there's like two layers of grain, yeah, yeah, you know. And gotcha. Anyway, there's just something so pure about doing those in-camera effects like because you actually are shooting something that's – real you know you're not it's a it's an effect right. it's a distortion of reality but what you're actually shooting is real it's not just an overlay of some digital thing and then trying to like make it a composite to make it work mm-hmm. i just love that about you know the just innovative experimental approach the, the the young experimental filmmaker is still in there even though he's making this big no it's hollywood true. movie you know especially in this one like uh like you're, we're saying here just this thread of thought it's like um there's a lot of techniques in this film like innovative techniques and uh, he's such a master and I never use that term it's hyperbolic but he really is a master and the evidence to me is being effective with the simplest uh yeah yeah ooh. yeah and that's what I was just saying just the parents disappearing I was just like like it's just he made it work and like it's all the things it's like he probably has like millisecond timing perfected for when he cut away well, that kind of shit. Yeah. Like, I re- one yeah. thing I'll say is that uh, um, is um someone uh, uh, Pullman Bill Pullman was saying somebody was he measures everything perfectly i never heard that before but mm. everything is measured perfectly like yeah in, like yeah yeah archetype. well the one thing i would say just on the simple filmmaking thing is like in that in that you know because you know we're definitely first thirders over here but the first third yeah. has these moments <laughs> in where um <clears throat> uh like i th- there's these the, the shots that stick out to me are the one of the shadows moving that one amazing moment where oh, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, where it's just literally shots of just shadows moving across the room. Which yeah, across the room, which is incredibly simple but effective, yeah. enhanced by of course the sound design. But there's also this incredible shot too that's just so unnerving, where I think it cuts from Pullman to just like smoke coming out. Yes, in the, the side of the corner of the room. In the corner of the dark room, dark smoke. Oh. Yeah, it's like Caravaggio or something. The levels of darkness that are going on there. But that yeah. is so scary. Just no, smoke out of nowhere. That really or? caught my eye. And you know what that reminds me of? Yeah. Is like a mid-century experimental film. Getting back to that, like uh, Kenneth Anger. Mm. Oh yeah. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah yeah yeah. And my um, Darren. With with three minutes on the clock, can I just take a scan of the clips, um, just to make sure yeah. we didn't. We don't regret anything. This is—it's um, ridiculous to do this for just an hour. Oof, I know. Yeah. What the Shout um, out to this more to the song of the siren in this movie while you're looking through those clips. Tim Buckley like cover by this mortal yeah. coil, which David wanted to use for the uh, slow dance party scene in uh, Velvet. He couldn't, and then he um, used it here. It sounds beautiful. It's perfect. It's the lovemaking theme. Uh, such a great song in in Lost Highway. It's such a great. You got song. one, Evan. It's his Let's favorite song. Th- it's his favorite song. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Let's do two freakouts. Let's do the saxophone freakout and then the ending head freakout. If we can, end my on favorite. Two. By the way, just just to set up uh, head freak uh, the end. He, he never had a more pessimistic ending to any film. This right. film doesn't even end with the guy dying and going to heaven. He's dying, troubled with a destroyed head. He's never <laughs> had a more pe- no. It, things never get so pessimistic. They even have happy endings like Wild at Heart. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, totally. Such a bummer, this film. This floored me. This made my weekend watching this again. Watching the future. It's just so incredible. Props to Pullman. Pullman did a great job. It's like altered states. <laughs> but, yes. um, no, but, like, what films end like this? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, what, what films end like this? And our, uh, our, our lead character, his face is uh, like uh, falling apart and exploding. 
Good night. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's becoming a nightbreed character at the end. The end. Yeah. Okay. It right. does. Oh, look so good. <laughs> Fucking right. hell, man. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. More freakouts. From, from one freakout to the next. Here we go. I love that, like, Sorry, this, this is, is his art. <laughs> yeah. I love that this is his art. Just, like, spastic noise blasts. That, like John Zorn kind of yeah, vibe. Like, like, assault yeah. him. Like, Free jazz. Yeah. yeah, it's not even, like, Ornette Coleman or something. It's, like, uh, it's just assault. It's that sort of rock free jazz kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Strobe lights. It's, he does look like he's acting here to me. I heard he took lessons. No, I heard he took lessons and he could okay. do he pieces. And he's great. He didn't know how to play before that. That's him. Yeah, That's he took a couple him. lessons and he had two pieces yeah. that he knew. Um, God, I have Armagosa too. The, the Lost Highway Hotel, Armagosa. It's like Death. If you ever go to Death Valley, Death Valley Junction, population three people. That's where the Lost Highway Hotel is. It's an amazing nice. place. And if you stay there, it'll be four or five people. I stayed there once. It was great. God, we're out of time. I know. Well, we're not out of really. time. I can't even I can't begin something, you know, in thirty seconds. It's just really great. Red curtain. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites. It was so refreshing to revisit. It's a great Huge rewatch. Fan. Great rewatch. It really is. I, we yeah. we all highly recommend if you haven't seen it in like a decade or something, like give it a shot. It's it's really good stuff. Yeah, really, totally, a- absolutely, and it, very under underseen. I think Lynch underseen, under discussed, as you said, underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs, it My deserves God. its due. Richard Pryor. We never talked about oh, Richard Pryor. Shit. Pryor. Ah. <laughs> Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor's in it. Yeah. <laughs> The end. All right, guys, my head's gonna explode. Yeah, I know. The end of this episode. Oh my god! All right, well, that's it. No more. We're moving I know. on. I, I had a lot more. Ugh, oh, I have tough. so much more. I know. We got a lot in there. We got the OJ down. Yeah. But we could have elaborated. I know. Um, LA is no, a landscape. We can't talk about it anymore. The, the <laughs> LA is up. a landscape. So right. I know no, it's so down. hard. I'm looking at some notes. Oh, I know. Oh god, this- I know. This is a rough one. This was you know a, what? This is this is a bad one fucking hour, man. You know like, what? It's just not enough time. If we ever do, maybe someday, a Patreon I know that has a one fucking hour, not one fucking hour, a Lost Highway commentary track, maybe. Maybe that's when we can get a lot of I would co-sign on that. Mm. Um, I'd love to go on a journey with the viewer and yeah. just kind of uh, co-pilot on, mm. on this film specifically. Be a lot of fun. It'd be great. Do uh, two fucking hours. I yeah. know. It really deserves it. It really yeah. deserves it. <laughs> to be discussed. To be discussed. Um, Ram, dude, that riff. It's a good riff. <laughs> it's a great riff. I mean, what should dude, I start it, with? Uh, what? Rammstein's hits. No, <laughs> yeah. that. Well, I have the soundtrack. Rammstein. Rammstein. <laughs> well, I have the, I just, I have the album the soundtrack. I just, I just love the riffs. I mean, if I were a wrestler, I'd probably walk out to the ring to that riff. Yeah, you probably. Would. Do they yeah. just say Rammstein? <laughs> Are those always the lyrics? Well, no, that song is just yeah, that's Rammstein by Rammstein. It's like that guy Rammstein. that does Rockstar. Every song, he, like he does YouTube videos, but every song is the lyrics to Rock uh, Rockstar. Well, no, it's yeah. like it, Black Sabbath, the song Black Sabbath yeah. on the album Black Sabbath by the band Black Sabbath. Yeah, it's so right. that's like <laughs> Rammstein by Rammstein on Rammstein. Yeah, fuck okay. yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, well, I've got the soundtrack. Um, I'm good. God damn it. <laughs> I know. I know. Anyway, There's more on. to be said. There's more to be said, but it's all over. It's done. And uh, let's talk about next week, guys, because guess what? It's spring break time on one fucking break, hour. Guys, we're going to we're going to Fort Lauderdale in the <laughs> mind. And uh, we're going to give you guys ourselves a break and all this uh, hard math and heavy lifting. That we've this had episode. Yeah, this is especially a hard one. tonight. Yeah. Oh. Um, all this like wheat germ and push ups. Uh, of our show here um, we're going to have a Mai Tai and uh, kick back and watch a really stupid bad movie here. yeah I'm very excited that. night off that. for once um, yeah. and it's also going to be our first snapper our first movie <laughs> that, uh, our, our, first, our, our first movie that uh, was uh, uh, released on uh, snapper DVD cases, and uh, that is we're looking at. Let's hear it. Give it a snap. Let's hear it. Oh wait, microphone. Can you hear this? Nice. I heard a snap. I heard a snap. All right. Uh, so, it is 1994's Disclosure, starring Michael Douglas and Demi Moore. Kind of the uh, trying to cash in on Fatal Attractionness, uh, but it gets it all wrong. Gets it very wrong. 
and it's uh, going to be so right uh, for us on the show. It's it's week. it's even more wrong than it should be, and you might be thinking it is. Uh, and then we're only doing snappers from here on out, right? Oh, yeah. I would. I would. But, the uh, summer of snappers. <laughs> yeah. But it is, Remember a but, few years know, ago, Evan's texting us going, what's your favorite snappers, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. It's like uh, seafood? <laughs> I, I, still, I still own about 40 to 50 snappers. But this, uh, this because, uh, you know, movies that were released in these snap cases all have a particular brand and flavor. And this movie really is emblematic of the snapper in a lot of ways. Because you know why? It has it's about hard drive manufacturing. It has uh, a, a third act that takes place in VR. It has. Oh, you spoiled it. Yeah. Uh, all right, There's a lot of VR. Got to get. There's a lot of cringe you. VR. Yeah. You know what? I'll go toe to toe with you, okay. and I'll have. I have a snapper pick. <laughs> I'll do a snapper pick. Then Marcus's snapper pick. Not in a row, but we'll do them over time. Because I have a real doozy. <laughs> One hint. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, you know what? Is that a snapper? In my heart, it is. Okay, okay. I don't know if that movie. Maybe it's not technically, but anyway, I want to do it. Cuba Gooding Jr. I want to do that too. I really want to do that too. I really, really. I talked to Poison the Hood. I want to talk to you off the air because off the same thing. No, we are off the air. Um, All right, but anyway, next week. I can't believe it, guys. It's one fucking hour disclosure. A new low for this uh, this podcast. Definitely get out and watch it. It Join is us. very fun. It's very fun. It's really? very, very, very fun. But guys, yeah, uh, kick back, get a Mai Tai, get a... Goes down easy. Get a banana daiquiri. Yeah, get some Uber Eats and settle you know, into and, uh, Disclosure. Yeah, and then uh, go to Margaritaville with us. <laughs> Spring break time. I'm one fucking hour. Uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, everybody, have a great weekend and a, a, and a great following week. But first, we can't leave without, um, of course, your, you know it, you're ready for it, your moment of sin. <laughs> okay, everybody. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef.